0: to another episode of I am the Knight, the weekly show where we break down episodes of the vintage the legendary the magnificent Batman the animated series with me as always is my compatriot my partner in crime my son my buddy Adam Ray how are you doing well it's always good to be back talking
1: about uh classic of the animated genre and one of the best visions of Batman but I think today I think it's more appropriate to call me your lab assistant because we (laughs) see some strange (laughs) mad
0: science in today's episode do we not? Yes absolutely and there's no need to get catty about it either. (laughs) Yes we're talking about the brilliant episode Tiger Tiger which comes out of left field written by Michael Reeves, Randy Rogel and Sheree Wilkinson and directed by Batman animated series veteran Frank Power.
1: A uh, really solid episode indeed. We get a real sense of Mad Science at its worst, yes. a real good character vision on Selena Kyle, and an unexpected like great sort of vignette on what we can sort of think about as a monster, really. Mm. We have a lot of things to think about, which is not something you ever usually get in uh, 25 minutes of quote-unquote kids
0: TV. At least not anymore. Well, absolutely. and And this show does it, um, has done it, and will always do, because it, it, it's vintage. Anyone who watches this show will get into it. Like you said, a great new character that I honestly want to see more of.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that we see more of them in trips in other related sort of media, but still, Tigress is a very layered and very interesting character that I'm sure we'll talk about at length in this review here, but still, it's very nice to see that they can really do that with
0: side characters or one off characters really. Oh son, you make your old dad very happy. Yes. Um this character I can't recall if he does make another appearance in the series per se, but he does have an appearance in the Batman Adventures comic book, which is a direct um partner to this show and he, he makes another appearance in that and it's it's absolutely great. So if you've read that story and you've just got this box set Reading that and watching this one after the other, watch this one first, it will be a great little adventure for you. So, let's talk about the episode itself. We see the wonderful Selina Kyle visiting a friend yeah. at the Gotham Zoo, and what kind of friend would she have, of course?
1: Well, that's just the thing about this interpretation of Catwoman. I've always known her, and I've been in my reviews of uh, the latest runs of Catwoman since uh, Detective 1000. She's mm. always been, at least in my mind, the one of the greatest thieves in DC Comics and a notorious legendary cat burglar. So it's very interesting to me that they're focusing, they're doubling down on this environmentalist caring for the wildlife and caring for the cat sort of side of things, which is not something I've really seen a lot of and something I'm very grateful they're exploring too, just this new side of the character. So yeah, this version of Catwoman does have a beautiful great Bengal tiger as a friend. (laughs) And it's a really lovely thing and really just a really punctuated character moment that we've just come to know the Selina for. And for those who might not necessarily know
0: her, oh, uh, Catwoman. Oh, okay, I know who this is. Exactly that. I mean, we should have guessed it from, like you said, when we were watching from the opening titles. Ah, there she is. Of course, yeah. I love the way you said that. That was beautiful. But yeah, you're right. Um, We don't see enough of environmentalist and wildlife-loving Selina Kyle in the comics anymore. And that is a side of her I really like. Yeah, it's a side of her that I think is very important very topical
1: today considering yeah. but uh no it's not necessarily something i've seen i in my reviews to of the cowboy titles i i commonly call her a couple of times uh, one of the greatest thieves in dc mm-hmm. comics which i think is still I'll pretty fair pretty fair um but yeah this environmentalist side is something that i find much more interesting and something i think is explored well which is why i give such a credit to this show because they've been able to get both sides of the character down very well and very clearly.
0: Absolutely. And one thing she's done, both in this series and in the comic books, I mean, the most uh, dangerous thing she's ever studied and the most powerful thing she's ever started is, of course, the heart of the Batman himself. And we see that very clearly. Yeah, because um, cutting away from
1: her little meeting in the zoo, back to the uh, stood-up-and-stilted... Bruce Wayne wondering where Mm -hmm. she is. He's compartmentalising, he's dealing with it, and it's a great piece of voice acting by Kevin Conroy, but we still wonder what what has become of her, and he worries about it, but he keeps himself calm and reserved because he's more determined to go out and find her as opposed to sort of
0: unnecessarily worry. Absolutely, and of course, what happened to her is she's visiting her friend the tiger, and from the trees, a strange and mysterious figure climbs down with a rifle, and we think he's going to tranquilise Dart, the precious, valuable, and rare Bengal tiger, but he has a different victim in mind, doesn't he? No, he
1: goes after Selena because she thinks, like we do, that they were going after the tiger, but no, he was there for her. And we see this strange sort of hot animal man, and at least in my first thoughts, my first take of the episode, I thought it might have been some one of the... Gorillas from Gorilla city yeah, like me a, like a grotto and monsieur is all your life yeah so when us so when we see them taking Sin someone somewhere very different altogether it's a very much more pleasant surprise and we get to see someone new someone unknown and then unrepeated sort of put into yeah. the villain spotlight and he's certainly very interesting and very good
0: garth the ape man quite literally the ape man and one of the experiments of the evil Dr. Emil Dorian, who is the uh, the bad guy of the piece, and a great new bad guy he is too, I think. Yep, he sort of encapsulates the classic
1: sort of mad scientist tropes, which is sort of rife in like DC and like comics as a whole, but he does it sort of very well because he's very proud of it, but he stays controlling and calculated and doesn't seem like the foaming at the mouth crazy mad scientist you get. <laughs> I like those ones too, but like the ones that are very committed to their work, the visionaries, the Making science for the sake of science, those kinds of uh, villains always interested me more.
0: I would say so. Well, yeah, more interesting, more intelligent, and, and therefore more of a threat than the old Raven no, Definitely, yeah, definitely, because they
1: are in, in control of their faculties and can plan and can strategize with all of that uh,
0: intelligence and acumen behind them. Uh, but do you like High Sun mm-hmm. being a native of this fine? Weather-beaten little island of ours, find it a little disheartening that us Brits are almost always cast as the baddies in these shows. Oh, I think it's a. Uh, sorry, I've gone a bit even a bit more posh there. I think it's uh,
1: <laughs> I, I personally take that as a badge of honour. I think. <laughs> of course you do. Oh, of course I do. I think it's uh, an air of sophistication, oh, an air of uh, intelligence, and historically speaking, American literature is going to paint. Uh, British characters in a villainous way because of Very that whole um, because of that whole colony business a few hundred years ago.
0: Yeah, uh, can't argue with that. Absolutely right. And uh, we'll talk about the, the wonderful actor that plays him a little later on. But sticking to the story, of course, Garth captures Selina and takes her to an island just off the coast of Gotham. And who knew that Gothic castles and purpose built labs could be built so close to the coast of what is the DC Universe's version of the Bronx or Manhattan it's it's a wonderful sight to see isn't it, it Dorian's Lear it's
1: a great visual sort of striking image in my head it makes me think of like a reverse King Kong mm. of the ape man taking the blonde Very damsel good. from the city to the island. jungle island instead of the other way around <laughs> Like that instead of the other way around because really that's this good. plot of King Kong where yeah. like the ape man is taken to the big city but even so the there's always something very visual about the mad scientists working in isolation in a grand over the top castle somewhere isolated a remote so that they're cut off from society but then again because they are cut off from society they are cut off from anyone who would tell them no yeah. and any sort of like society moral compass that would say your experiments are immoral sir but i'm like i'm not gonna care i'm gonna do it anyway yes. turn it up yeah it's a really striking visual thing and
0: it fits the tropes really well which is why it looks so good and why we expect it to look so good wonderfully put young man wonderfully put and also um very very reminiscent of classic works of literature from Shelley and frankenstein where frankenstein the the professor the doctor the actual character is he really more of the monster than the creature he creates because that creature is, is innocent when it's when it's born and we see that a lot between the relationship of Emil Dorian and his creation, Tigress, I think. Yeah, because Tigress is definitely the more interesting of the two oh, sort of
1: abomination creation mutant things. I'm sure we'll talk about him in a bit more depth. But yeah, the it's you sort of have to consider the creations like Tigress and like Frankenstein's monster as... Sorry to throw around my literature degree, but uh, as clean slates, as Tabula Rasa's, as innocent versions just put out without anything to their names and without any morals they have their morals sort of put on them by their creators and by the world they're born into Uh, just like children really so we can't really hold them accountable until they start thinking and feeling on their own and we can expect to see more of that as we talk more about the character but yes um, it's very interesting that batman's able to find this isolated
0: little island in his own detective ways Absolutely. And and what a way of, of getting there. Because obviously he's got a, his one-shot little back glider to get in there. Because he knows that whoever's on that island will have a way off. Or, of course, trust the old Alfred, call the Batwing, wing, get me out of here. But she I'm thinking is. more interesting about how he was able to put
1: the pieces together. A lovely bit of realism within the... And detective work. Realism, the detective work, and the realism of this vision of this Gotham that we've seen, where we can refer to characters we haven't seen in...
0: 30, 40-plus episodes. Yes, absolutely. And and what a great way of doing it. You're so right, son, where Batman goes back and uses a new source because witnesses have placed a strange-looking gorilla creature kidnapping the damsel in distress. So, of course, who would Batman go to for advice on strange animal-human hybrids? But... Kirk Langstrom the former man back from the very first episode of this series and um, we haven't seen him since then so it's a wonderful
1: bit of realism just to know that there's going to be characters like that that Batman can call back to and it still benefits the audience who may not necessarily know by referencing this was very similar to the serum I used when I became the man yes. it's, it's, it's very well like detail written so they can accommodate all sorts of viewers and it's just shows very well here, very well done, very well handled.
0: Really, really good. And isn't it lovely to see, and we've talked about this before, that Batman doesn't just get these villains, throw them into Arkham or throw them into jail. The fact that Kirk Langstrom appears to be at least partially rehabilitated after his stint in the aforementioned Don Leatherwings episode, I mean, that's one of my favourite aspects of Batman as well.
1: Yeah, Batman as... Uh... A lot of the movies will try to paint Batman as this figure of the night and the figure of fear. They never see him as a protector of the innocent or someone who redeems lost souls. And that's a more difficult but a more rewarding version of heroism to me. Someone who can actually go forth and defend those from themselves so they can go on to become better people. So that's true heroism. And we see that in question working. But this is probably one of the few times we do because... When we first see Harvey Dent in that wonderful two-parter, he tries his utmost to try and get through to his former friend Mm -hmm. from the place of trying to help him and just to get him back in the straight and narrow and out of whatever psychosis he's developed. It's not just about him putting another dangerous criminal away. It's about him trying to redeem someone who's gone off the case, and he's done that with so many different villains, so it's nice to see that that's actually worked on one of them. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And again, of course his main love interest for decades and in this episode. The same with Selina Kyle. She was a thief, a crook and a hoodlum and he has rehabilitated her to the case that she's no longer in prison. She's a love interest both to him and to his alter ego of Bruce Wayne. So much so that both sides of his character despair at her going missing, at her being kidnapped and go to her rescue. Yep.
1: And they, they go on quite a journey to find the Acts of strange science by a very deranged man, but sure enough, it leads to a lot of interesting questions for us, the viewers, and puts into a question about just how far science can go. Because DC, it does have wonderful, great science fiction, but it's also very apt to see that this is where it's coming from. Um, there because this came, this this show came out in the mid 90s, what Mm -hmm. so. This was right around the time when, like, genetic manipulation science was starting to really take effect. Like, you're probably a bit behind Dolly the Sheep, but still some of your stem cell research and the like. Mm -hmm. So that sort of uncertainty has sort of translated into this episode, sort of like how radiation was around in the 50s when the Hulk was created. Indeed. So
0: it makes for great storytelling when it can mirror the now and mirror people's anxieties about the now. And it's incredible as well that, like you said, early 90s and yet almost three decades later, it's still relevant and it's still powerful to the point where, yeah, we get that classic thing of the monster that's misunderstood who actually turns out to be a heroic figure by the end of the story. But we also get that classic question, which is repeated in things as varied as this and jurassic park of the power of science and just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should absolutely and it's brilliantly done in this story absolutely brilliantly where we see poor old selena transformed into something i honestly thought she might actually like into a literal cat woman um and it's quite sad because obviously with the cat's eyes being larger than humans the sadness and the pain in her eyes when she's transformed and the brilliant voice acting from Adrienne Barbeau who plays her and from Kevin Conroy in real despair at seeing his love in that condition. You made her a monster. (laughs) It's great, isn't it? Oh, it's so good. So good.
1: I, I will... Uh, be quite angry at the people who make the honest trailers for saying that's one of the lower moments of Batman the Animated series. Boo! Was, really? Yeah. Oh no. They said it's from some of the highs, it's like a montage of the Joker, some of the lows, that. I'm like, no, that is a great character moment where he's tussling and, and uncertain about how he's feeling about what he's seeing and letting the like steely visage of Batman sort of break under something shocking. And circling back to what you said about um, Catwoman, I think ultimately. Mm she didn't really embrace it because it wasn't her choice. And that's why... And that's something, another sort of lesson about this episode is that the dark sides of science is that um, just because you could doesn't mean you should, but sometimes uh, science goes bad but it doesn't ask permission. And Absolutely. it just does things. Very well said. Because like, another example of that, of mad science doing things for the sake of doing things for the sake of progress, would be like mm. um, the side of men from two um, thousand Doctor Who. Yeah. B- just like trying to upgrade humanity until there's no hu- actual humans left. It's not... That's the sort of dark side of advancement too much, is that
0: it replaces what we were and sort of paves over, and it's not correct. But at least John Numic was believed in his own ideals enough that he actually underwent the process himself and became a Cyberman. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Dorian, he loves cats and thinks they're infinitely better to human beings. And in many ways, I can't argue with that. In many ways, he's right. But Selina, again, is a cat lover, but that does not mean she wants to be one. And Dorian went that one step too far.
1: Especially considering Dorian has the potential of turning a person into a cat person, Mm. but
0: didn't choose to go through that process himself. There you go. Yeah. So he is he's, he's two-faced. He's yeah. literally not prepared to back up his own vision and ideals. Yeah. But even with the science behind his cat-person
1: te- transformation, his own magnum opus, his great creation, was something he was someone he created himself from scratch. Mm-hmm. The interesting, interesting
0: character of Tyrus. And what a character! Well said, son. I mean, to me, he. From the beginning, you just think this is going to be another monster for Batman to fight, take down and defeat. But by the end of this, I mean, talking about character progression and character growth, an amazing piece of character development and growth from this one character in that short 20-minute episode. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's amazing to
1: see that this entire character goes through yeah. the entire literature degree, sorry, yeah. um, the entire... Re- role reversal on the master and slave dialectic it's mm. re- it reminds me really heavily of like frankenstein's monster like we mentioned before but also looking at prospero and Caliban from the Tempest. oh
0: wonderful absolutely
1: because sure the there's a lot of similarities to that um wizened genius who lives on the remote island all all on his lonesome and absolutely. making strange changes to the nature and the world around him because his magic or his science is just that strong enough and there's this one figure in the middle who starts out Mm. understanding and sympathetic but then eventually starts to find their own voice, their own identity and works against their creator or the one that sort of had the greatest influence over their surroundings. Because we see that at the beginning with Tigris. We see them as this monstrous figure going out in the wilderness, hunting down Batman and does so with like deadly efficiency and there are many times when we think we think Batman's dealt with him oh he comes right back dealt with him comes right back Yeah, just relentless unstoppable then we get Batman uh, netting him down to the tree and then he starts to speak yeah that just puts such a human puts such a human element on Mm. this monstrous character so we start to immediately start to feel for him and we feel the motivations of him wanting to do this to appease his master appease his father his creator so that when it eventually does backfire and he goes back to Dr. Dorian uh, he is like horrible to this to Tyrus and by all accounts he really shouldn't be because he's this puny little man he's Mm -hmm. trying to like slap across the face and talk down to this seven foot tall beast man who could very easily like claw him all of the new ones
0: Absolutely. It's like you said that. It's all about respect. Emil Dorian doesn't respect anyone but himself. He sees himself as the all-powerful, almighty, wise, and everything he believes is right. And that poor character Tigress sees this man as his father and respects him and loves him. And honestly, yeah, he gives Tigress a slap and... With Tigris' power, he could rip that guy's head clean off his shoulders. Yep. But he wouldn't because, honestly, deep down, even though he has the visage and the physicality of a beast, of a monster, of an animal, he's far more human than Emil Dorian could ever be. Not so much so that eventually he starts to question and
1: doubt and then act in a heroic manner of destroying all of Oof, Dorian's absolutely. science. But still saving Dorian at the end. So just true heroism from something you would never expect to be heroic.
0: It's fantastic. Really, it's really is. Really fantastic. And Batman sees it too. Because again, I think... Again, kudos to Kevin Conroy's performance. Because right up until the point he nets him and he speaks... Mm. All Batman is doing is fighting to stay alive... And fighting to take this thing down. Yeah. But that's, again, one of the aspects of the character... That as soon as he sees there's a semblance of intelligence there... That this isn't just some slavering beast... Batman softens. Yeah, and he starts to reason with him. talks to him. Exactly. And that's the thing about Batman as a character. He will always try and reason with you first. And then if you don't listen, that's when you're going to meet the Hammers of Justice. Yep. And even
1: then, past the deliverance of justice, he will still try to Rehabilitate. rehabilitate and help once they've been incapacitated and captured
0: and dealt with. Absolutely right. So, obviously, we get to the stage where... Tigress clearly has fallen for the cat like Selina and he does accept her in that form but of course that's not what Selina wants to be that's not who Selina is and Batman tries to rescue the Selina he knows and loves and unlike most human beings Tigress sees that he sees that the creature he's actually fallen for is going to be taken away from him but again heroically saves her life
1: and lets her go. I think that's just another part of the heroic and good-natured nature of Tigris. It's another, like, literature theory that you get with your Frankenstein's monsters and your Calibans is the sort of figure of the noble savage, someone who doesn't subscribe to, like, Western ideals, but is still very honourable and forthright in their actions. So even though he does project... desire and wanting onto Selina he doesn't force that because she kn- she knows her own nature and she will follow her own path and he wouldn't want to change her desires just to suit his. That's a very noble and forthright thing to do that not a lot of people would do.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't it's, agree more.
1: It's uh, certainly, something, certainly something Dorian didn't do because he wanted to change the natural world to suit his sort of ideals about
0: science and perfection and evolution. I'm so glad you brought that up Because exactly what I was going to say He's the complete opposite of his father His father is a well-spoken Educated, intelligent man on the outside But a cold, cruel heart Imposing his will on the inside Whereas Tigris, for all intents and purposes You look at him and you run a mile He is a beast, a monster on the outside But his compassion, his innocence And his respect for other people's opinions and desires Elevates him way beyond his father Very much so It's... um because you see towards the end
1: uh, Dorian become more and more frantic and oh, uncertain yeah. in his actions using like a double barrel shotgun to try and like shoot down Catwoman or bat- Batman mm. just doing anything and acting frantically but then Tigress is the one trying to reason and understand and reconcile in himself how he's feeling about being loyal to his father or to doing what he is now learning to believe is right so it's a wonderful way that they've been able to handle and manage that dynamic really
0: Absolutely, and we have to say again. We've we've spoken about Kevin Conroy and Andrea Barbeau, but part of the reason Tigress again is probably so sympathetic is the incredible voice acting by the actor who played him, Jim Cummings. Um, Great vocal range from growls and hesses to mules of pain to that vulnerable, powerful voice.
1: Yeah, they. The voice direction in this show has always been amazing. They've been able to capture the ferocity of someone who is still base animalistic Mm -hmm. and like driven by instinct and primal savagery, but there's still him sort of learning about his own morals and his own directions and him sort of acting in what should be done and that vulnerability and that contemplation so they can really get both sides here and it's a wonderful performance, honestly.
0: Well, because he is a a legit voice actor, one of the greatest. I mean, you look up... Most of the Disney movies, animated series, whatever, you'll see Jim Cummings' name there. I mean, things as varied as Princess and the Frog, he was Christopher Robin in the Winnie the Pooh things, Aladdin, and, of course, and you spotted this one, son, proud of you, the villainous Pete, Mickey Mouse's arch nemesis. Yep, the classic sort of oafish figure
1: there towards the later end of uh, Mickey's animated adventures. But, yeah, I feel like someone with that kind of range and that kind of like weight and gravitas to him was...
0: A very good choice for a character this interesting and in this layered. Absolutely. And then we have to talk about Emil Dorian, the villain of the piece, played by uh, the wonderful Joseph Mayer. Again, a veteran of movies like Mars Attacks, in and out TV shows like Chicago Hope, um, Tales from the Crypt, Murder, She Wrote. But uh, I know him, and your mother recognised him. I mean, bless bless your mum. Yeah, She sat through these episodes with us last night, and she said, I know that guy's voice. So she did half my research for me. She looked up Jim Cummings and she looked up Joseph Mayer, who was uh, Bishop O'Hara in Sister Act 2. Yeah, bless my mother. My mother has this thing of just, when there's an actor on. And you have this as well. Yeah,
1: I do. And you have this act, there's an actor on the screen, and it's just like, oh, who is he? Who is he from? And then I, being obnoxious, just say, oh, he's from, and just name the thing we're watching. (laughs) Because it does not bother me one bit. But YouTube, oh, YouTube both have this thing. But then again, for finding out the tenured careers of actors in Batman the Animated Series, it is a very helpful thing to be able to research actors mm. on Wikipedia or IMDb. So, yeah, Indeed. it's great to see someone with that kind of range bringing a very good villain to life.
0: And on that note, because this show has grown and developed as we have over the 40 odd weeks we've been recording it um, I don't believe I mentioned the genius of Mark Singer, the actor who portrays um, Kirk Langstrom the man-bat, because obviously he was in the very first episode, but he again is a veteran of stage and screen um, for TV audiences alone, he was the hero in V, the excellent sci-fi series where lizards came to earth, disguised as human beings to try and eat us where's oh, that what Scientologist got it from? Uh, <laughs> V the Scientology show. No, there's a
1: there is a theory, there is a theory yeah, about, like Tim Foyle conspiracy theorists who yes.
0: believe that the world leaders are just lizard people. Royal family. The Queen is a lizard. Um maybe. Um but that that show I think did it first. But also the Beastmaster, a uh Conan, uh, He-Man type character from the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And of course, who better to be a beast master or a master beast uh, man bat than the wonderful Mark Singer? Well, certainly
1: good that we were able to give him a little spotlight. And yeah, another tenured actor showing their range here for a great and varied villain, he very character. He started off as a villain, but now he's
0: oh yes. very varied and very valued to in Batman. Anyone who reads comics, particularly the wonderful Justice League Dark, will know that Man-Bat is a true hero now and a, and a member of the Justice League Dark team.
1: Oh, wow. And it's actually still actual.
0: Yes. That's really good. Really I good. Did, I did not know that. that really, good. really good. So... We've come to the end of another episode. The hero saves the day, but which hero am I talking about, Tigress or Batman? Honestly, both. To be honest, towards the end of the episode, Tigress sort of stepped into the, hero- the standard yeah.
1: heroics role very well, and he very magnanimously chose his fate to sort of be sentinel of what's left of this mm. island and seeing the very strange sort of, like, flying cats and cat monkey things that's <laughs> all sort <of> wandering around <laughs> the trees.
0: I love that. Yeah, because...
1: Dorian was strange. But still, that's a very heroic and noble choice to make. And yeah, I'd say at places he was more the hero of the story today.
0: Yeah, and and, and that closing line where Selina says, come with us, there's nothing left for you here. And he replies... There's nothing left for me anyway. Wow, brilliant. Who knew a 20-minute kids' show could be that deep? And And that's why we love it. So that point in the show where we close off with our final remarks things that stood out things we loved or possibly didn't like so much about Tiger Tiger well I have to say that
1: the overall like high points of the moment's attention were definitely the clashes between Batman and Tigress because Batman's obviously a in peak physical condition, physical perfection that he can take most opponents but someone who's just like primal animal fury, Togus really gave him a good showing and a good going but we got lots of really great moments of tension and just some of their fights across and through that jungle but there's a question sort of like racking through my mind and I just want to try and like address this probably Is is there a piece of media to your mind that you can think of where the rope bridge doesn't break Because they fight, right? (laughs) Oh my god! Because they get to this (laughs) climactic fight over a gorge, and they're fighting over a rope bridge. And Batman throws the battering and snaps through the rope. And I think, yeah, of course, the rope bridge is going to snap. But then I think, wait, the rope bridge always snaps, except... It always snaps. Wait, no, I just realised. There is Mm. one example where it doesn't snap, but I'm going to hold that back. What what do you think?
0: What do you think about rope bridges in media? oh my god, you're so brilliantly weird. Thank you. Um, that has never actually crossed my mind. I just see a rope bridge, and I know it's going to snap, so I just think, oh, we're going to get a great action scene here. I'll <laughs> just well, wash past it because it's such a well-used trope, but well it's a you're world,
1: right. It's a well-used trope for because of obvious reasons, now that I think about it. It's,
0: um, it's, a great,
1: it's a great bit of tension. In terms of the natural world, sure, those things are going to wear and tear out in the elements and it puts things away from like a horizontal chase to the vertical chase which always makes for a great bit of uncertainty and it puts vertigo in the viewer because Mm. they feel like they're going to fall down but in my mind except for one the road bridges always fall down they fall like um, Temple of Doom there's a wonderful moment where the the cult of Carlio come in from both sides
0: Um, even stuff like Shrek and Emperor (laughs) New (laughs) even the new jumanji the second jumanji oh with yeah, the Rock and yeah, Gang, yeah, yeah that was a brilliant rope rope ladder that was, that was fantastic yeah but, but no but to my mind there is one rope bridge
1: in my head that i can see really clearly that doesn't okay. snap okay then listeners no, <laughs> no i I will,
0: I will give you this one for free listeners the no no see if they can guess it oh okay i will we'll see if i can chance. guess it yeah absolutely will, let's give them the chance to see because I, i'm i can't off the top of my head Remember, every single rope ladder, rope bridge I've ever seen, breaks. So, okay, listeners, challenge for you. Please name another piece of fiction. Film, TV, anything. Um, where a rope ladder doesn't actually break. Um, that, that's the challenge for you. Oh, Adam, brilliant. Um, um, I, I was just going to comment on the literature side of things and the Tiger Tiger, the brighton and Bright and William yeah, Blake and anything else you but you with rope ladder. Rope bridges. Where do rope ladders come from? I don't know. You've you've said it a couple of times now.
1: Bridges. Bridges. But no, honestly, then again, that's just the wonderful thing about it that can inspire such varied sort of conversations. And honestly, not to squash your thing, because your point's actually really valid. It's a very literate, literature sort of episode. Because when you compare it to stuff like the stuff I've sort of drummed up, like Frankenstein and Tempest and stuff. Yeah. And with the Dylan Thomas poem, Mm -hmm. was it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very William Blake. William, William Blake. Blake. Right. Um Very layered, very rich episode. I was very happy with it, and it's there us a lot of things to think about. And another classic of the series, I would yeah, say.
0: Definitely. Um, I know we say it most weeks, but another favourite because um, it's just so good. The series is just so damn good. Right. Uh, Road bridge is notwithstanding. Adam, uh, tell our listeners, viewers, readers where they can find more of you on Tintanet.
1: Well, I can talk about road bridges and review titles (laughs) on Dark Knight News. As I said, I do review Catwoman at present. I also review um, Batman Beyond, uh, some really solid runs of both titles going at the present. Uh, You can find me on our... Pride and Joy, Fantastic Universes, talking about my one true love, PC gaming, tabletop gaming, and rope bridges. (laughs) Follow me on Twitter, at IsItTinkerer, I-Z-Z-E-T Tinkerer. tinkerer. Please do get in touch if there are any withstanding and withholding strong, sturdy rope bridges anywhere in fiction. (laughs) The people need to know, what has science done? And turn, for something a bit more visual, where you can hear more of my dulcet tones, go to the hostile atmosphere on youtube where some friends and i play pc games across steam and the Epic games market and you can find me on uh no ordinary heroes
0: on youtube playing dungeons and dragons yourself sir Oh, God, I was almost a rope bridge too far. Okay. Oh, no. Um, you can find me simply by typing the words Steve J. Ray into your search engine of choice, and that'll take you to all my news reviews and interviews across both DC Comics News and Dark Knight News. If you want to read something that isn't literally just DC or even comic books, again, go to Fantastic Universes for all kinds of cool fandom shiz. But talk to us. Talk to Adam. Talk to me on Twitter at O E L underscore S T E E V O. So that has been the I Am the Night podcast again this week. He's Adam Ray, he's the Night. Together we are the Night. This has been I Am the Night. Adam, what does everyone really need to do, mate? Read more comics and
1: cross more road bridges. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye now.
0: I Am The night is one of the shows on the DC Comics News Podcast Network, along with the original DC Comics News Podcast, Mad Love, The Harley Quinn Cast, and The Spinner Act. All these shows can be found wherever you find good podcasts, including Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and Google Play. DC Comics News and Dark Knight News can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube.